a title this morning, Live in Obedience. Live in Obedience. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So I'm going to read Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 20 is really important, okay? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, I called it this morning, live in obedience. We are to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, all right, we have 52 weeks in a year, correct? Yep, that's a big tick. 52 weeks every year. You're not going to be here every week for 52 weeks to learn the things that you need to learn to be obedient to everything that Jesus has commanded us unless you read the Bible at home for yourself, unless you perhaps have a Bible reading plan, perhaps attend a connect group, uh, perhaps attend a prayer meeting, but Jesus' command to his disciples was to go into all the world, make disciples. Disciples are learners. Uh, not just at the end of the preach that we say, does anyone want to give their life to Christ? Put up your hand. You've made a decision. A decision is very different to discipleship. Discipleship is where you will learn to actually know what Jesus wants us to know how to live according to his word, the Bible. Now, I will tell you, for the first 14 years of mine and Sid's marriage, and we've been married for 52 years, for those first 14 years, we knew about God. We even used to say a prayer of a nighttime separately, never with one another. We never, ever openly prayed together. But we knew that we, when we were in bed of a nighttime, late, I was saying my prayer, he was saying his prayer, quietly, silently. But for 14 years, well, the first year or two was okay, but then I was desperately miserable in my marriage. Lots of things had happened. Uh, I was so unhappy. And the way of the world tells us, if you're not happy, get out. Go find someone else or just move out. I had contemplated, Sid didn't have a clue, didn't have a clue, not thick as a brick but just so unaware of where I was at. I even considered suicide. This is a terrible thing to confess. I, I had high blood pressure from a very young age. At 17, I had really, really high blood pressure because of stress in my life. Um, I didn't have a good life. I came from a background of abuse and violence and domestic abuse in our home. I was highly stressed, but I was terribly unhappy. I thought marriage would be the greatest thing on earth, but I was disillusioned when things weren't quite right. And 
he had no idea. I thought I'll just swallow all of my blood pressure tablets and other medication I was on at the time and end my life. But I never did it. Many times I wanted to pack my bags and leave and just get out. And I know that I could have survived because I was a survivor, but it never happened either. And I think, not I think, I know, God's hand was on me and he didn't want me to leave this marriage. Uh, Sid, Sid and I had learned that there was a little Sunday school. I wasn't going to talk about any of my testimony this morning, but anyway, you're going to get a bit of it. Sid, would you let me know when 20 minutes is up, please, and call me time? Or someone, and I don't care that you say, but please say time. I need to know to finish. All right, so I started taking Bryony to Sunday school. Our son was 10 or more at that age, maybe he was 12. And he didn't want to go to Sunday school, but I took our little girl. And I would buy the newspaper on the way out to the little Sunday school building. It was an abandoned church, only used for Sunday school, not for anything else. The weeds were growing up through the floor of this abandoned old church. There was no electricity, no running water and a pit toilet in the backyard, no heating in winter. We used to bring in a little kerosene heater. I used to sit in the car I'd buy the newspaper, take her in, then go back to the car and read the newspaper while she was inside for one hour. At the end of that hour, I would go in and collect her and take her home. After a couple of months, uh, the leaders in there said, Sue, you sit in the car. Do you think you could come in and help us with the little ones with their craft activities and things like that? So I started going in. Didn't bother buying the paper anymore. I started going into this little Sunday school and... Then they asked me um, after a while of being in there, after a number of months, would I perhaps teach a Sunday school lesson? I said, I could not teach a Sunday school lesson. I know nothing about lessons. And they said, oh, you don't have to know anything. You take the book home. And this was a Scripture Union program that they had. Scripture Union had a program for Sunday schools that after four years, you had taught the whole Bible. So, of course, I used to take my book home and I would learn my lesson this week, ready to teach the children the next week. So, virtually for six years, because I taught the Bible by now one and a half times through over six years, I've become a, a very, very um, strong in the Word of God and in obedience. And as I was learning as a little children, we don't lie. Oh, I can't lie anymore. Okay, I would apply the principles to my own life. And of course, I've become an avid reader of the Bible, not just for my lessons, but I couldn't get enough of it. I got saved. I used to learn the little Sunday school songs and sing with the children and the tears would stream down my face. And I think, get a grip. What's going on with you, Sue? But the Holy Spirit was captivating my heart. He had drawn me to himself. And whatever he wanted, it was yes. Yes, Lord. I had fallen in love with him. By this time, I've come to meet other Christians who were into many things, um, many things in the spirit, really deep things. They were Pentecostals. I'd never met a Pentecostal in my life, but they believed in deliverance and they believed in so many things, all scriptural, mind you, 
And the very first full gospel businessman's dinner I went to, I was invited to, there was some deliverance taking place on the floor. A man was wriggling like a snake and hissing and all sorts of things. And I just looked and thought, oh, okay, this is what deliverance is. Okay, I wasn't scared. I didn't think it weird or wacky. I had learned from the Bible, these things happen. We are supposed to understand deliverance. Jesus delivered many people from demons, even on our last night, Thursday night at the conference, uh, because it was closed, um, not open to the public and not being recorded as such. Uh, One of the preachers... Uh, Pastor Mark Varagese from Western Australia, a brilliant preacher. He's a lawyer, brilliant preacher. Um, He said, you know, well, deliverance is actually for pastors too. Perhaps you've got a little bit flat. Perhaps you're not in the word as much as you used to be. Maybe you have got a demon or two. This is a great place tonight for you to get delivered. Let's get these things out of our life. Let's start to look at our lives in a fresh way. How can you lead a church if you're not? you know, full on for God and things are stopping you or if you've got dry in your life. So it was really good. It was really, really good. I didn't hear any screaming and wailing like I saw when I've seen deliverances and I've seen a fair bit on my life. And actually I've had people in what was our church on the South Coast. One lady who was into witchcraft asked me if I would pray for her because she used to feel the snakes running across her feet. But I knew she was still into her marijuana and she wouldn't get rid of it and she wouldn't burn her witchcraft books either. And I just said to her, I know you want me to help you with deliverance and get these things out of your life, but until you're ready to actually stop smoking the weed or at least receive some help, uh, the Bible tells me I can deliver you, but seven times worse will come back in if you don't live the right way. Now, perhaps, see, if you're not a reader, you won't know any of this stuff. But you need to read because these are things that Jesus said and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. So, of course, one time as I'm reading my Bible and I'm teaching Sunday school, I read that Jesus hates divorce. uh, God hates divorce. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God hates divorce. Well, doesn't look like I'm going to divorce Sid. He hates divorce. I'm in this for life. Changed my thinking. And I'm thinking, well, at first, before, I've just told you that, but I should have told you something else. I had a supernatural experience with God. I didn't know how to explain it. I felt crazy in that if I told someone, they'd never believe me. But a friend of mine that was at work, I work for New South Wales Health, she said to me, I shared with her, and this was really amazing. I hadn't even told Sid what had happened, that I had this supernatural experience. He'd gone to work in the early hours of the morning and the Lord stood beside me and spoke to me and prayed for me. And I thought I died. I thought I was dead because he prayed a prayer over me. And then when I realised I was still alive after a while, I thought I must be going to die very soon because that was a prayer and that was supernatural. And as quickly as he came and was standing beside me, talking to me, put his hand on my head, after that was over, he had disappeared. But at that time, I did try to open my eyes and he put his hand on my forehead and said, don't open your eyes. But I sensed the brightest light with my eyes closed. It was a supernatural um, response to three months of me crying myself to sleep every night over my sinful life. 
and over the hurt in my life. And he had responded. And I used to pray every night, God, that you would forgive me and God, that you would bless me. And he blessed me in a way I had never, ever thought would ever happen. And it changed my life forever. I cannot deny him. He's a real God. He exists. And he has a wonderful plan and purpose for our life. And the sooner you can find it, the better off you are. Our children, teaching our children to love God with all of their heart, not knowing about him, but know him for themselves in personal relationship. We can talk to God as a friend and he will talk back to us if we'll be still enough. Now, it might be I have heard the audible word of God on a number of occasions. One morning I got up out of bed and as soon as my feet hit the floor, the voice of God said to me, prepare for the worst. So, of course, I took that to prayer, didn't manifest itself for a couple of years and when it did, it was the darkest year of my life preparing for the the worst. I thought I prepared but nothing could have prepared me for what happened and God was with me all the way. I thought he'd abandoned me for a little while but he hadn't. But in hearing God, it can be you'll open up the Bible and it's like you'll read something and it's like there's a light over it And it hits your heart and you change your life. That's the Rima word of God. It's become alive to you. Uh, Again, it's in fellowship. Even on Thursday night was an anointing service after the end of everything. And there was a young, we were told to pray in twos or threes and with no one who knew you. So I prayed for a lady and I prayed for another lady and then they took a turn at praying for me. And one of them, you know, they had no idea who I was. One of them said to me, the youngest one actually, her name was Carolyn from Tasmania, she, only because I knew, saw her badge nameplate. <laughs> anyway, she said to me, I can see that you've had a mantle on your shoulders and it's carried a fair bit of weight in the past. But she said, the mantle's been lifted. There's no mantle on your shoulder of heaviness anymore. There's an authority that's now been placed upon your head and you have an authority. And I thought, yeah, I think that's probably right too because I am um, regional leader over the Capital Country District, Cooma, Canberra and Goulburn. And there's an authority there and a few other things that I'm in as volunteer roles. I have no paid income. Sid and I retired a year and a half ago almost. And we are um, on a journey with the Lord, still loving him, still loving church, retired, but never. This is our family church and we love you. But you've got to, Jesus said to the disciples, Make disciples and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So with supernatural encounters, with hearing the word of God, with loving the word, with having studied the word for a long, 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 long time, there's nothing I would do that I would ever want to offend God. And he's asked me to do some really hard things where I thought, if I have to go and confess that sin to that person's face, they're going to think me crazy or they'll never talk to me again. But every time my answer was, yes, Lord, in putting ourselves right with others. Our son, love our son very, very much, but he's outside the church. 
Um, Bryony was at a time where I was really full on for God. So she's grown up in church. She's a pastor of her own church now here in Canberra. Um, Lovely girl, beautiful children, three grandchildren in the Lord, two grandchildren out of the Lord. And my heart is always praying for them. But with Adam, Adam had to leave the coast as all teenagers did. They had to leave the coast to come to university in Canberra or move to Canberra for work. So we packed him up and he came to Canberra and then it was Bryony's turn numbers of years later, pack her up, send her to Canberra and I didn't have any worries about her. Adam, I never knew what Adam was up to. Never knew what he was doing but with Adam he had uh, very quickly uh, met a girl, very, very serious with her And they were living together and they were not married. And, of course, Scripture says that I'll actually read to you this morning, okay? This is from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20 because Adam knew his mother is a fundamentalist. If you're a Pentecostal, you should be a fundamentalist. What's a fundamentalist? We believe every word that is written that it is truth in God. So here's Adam living with his girlfriend, wanting to sleep with her when he comes home. And I said, no, you will not sleep with that girl in our home. I know what you're doing outside our home, but we are pastors and you will not. But this is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. I put up my hand. Yes, that was me. I was that person. Yes. But here's my son now wanting us to agree to let him sleep as an unmarried person in the same bed in our home. And I said, no, you will not. So they rented a motel down around the corner after a number of weeks of paying a motel because he used to come down to sail with his dad. After paying for that, I think they realised we're wasting our money. Let's just agree to sleep in separate rooms when we go to visit mum and dad. And that's the way it was. But my advice is, and I I have had to deal with this many, many times in our church down the coast. I would say to people, you want the big, white, flashy wedding? Fine, you can have that. Oh, you've planned it for eight months away. Oh, but you're living together now? Well, I say to you, give 30 days notice and get married quietly. And in the eyes of God, you're married. Even the other night at conference, Pastor Wayne Alcorn, the national leader, he said, in our churches, we have to be bold enough to say, you think you're living blessed, living together but not married? Your, your relationship is not blessed in heaven. That's the bottom line. But as Pentecostals, we've got to do something about our lives in getting them right. Teenagers, don't start living with a girl. Don't do it yourself. What happens? You tie yourself to somebody. Then you've got to go through all the dramas if that relationship ends. Then you've got to go through all of the cleansing. And cleansing is very, very important that we have to renounce our sin and we have to cut soul ties because the Bible says when sex occurs and you're not married, 
It's not blessed by God. It's not honourable in his sight. And if something was to happen, that Jesus comes back in 10 minutes' time and we're gone, well, I'm not going to say you won't be saved. You can be, but you're going to miss out on that first gathering up to heaven. You're going to have to work really hard through what will probably be the tribulation and it will probably mean your very life to say yes. This is a big, heavy teaching this morning. But some of you were like this. Some of you were. But I can tell you, I was the biggest sinner. Every commandment, I, I committed every one of them. Every one of them. No wonder when Jesus came to me and I got the truth, I could never, ever be the same again. I lost appetite for the world. I was full on for God. I think they should have locked me up for a year first until I settled down a bit because I wanted to tell everybody about God. Sid and Bryony used to try and pull me back, Sue. Shh, you know, I'd want to tell everyone about God and his goodness and his greatness and what he can do for us. I was so full on. Anyway, so I'm settled down, but I've probably got a little bit more wisdom now. Now I pray about, should I actually be saying that to them now or do I leave that for a while? Do I? Anyway, there you go. So that was 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20, okay? And it was all about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the sad thing, there, well, it's good news for us. We get to go to heaven, but there's a very real heaven and there's a very real hell. And then good people who have seen to be good give to the poor, volunteer for all sorts of wonderful things. But without Christ, they're all going to hell. All of them. We are really facing a crisis in the world now. Because less and less people want to have anything to do with church or Christians or anything else. And we have to smarten up. We've got to get more in love with God, more on fire for God. Don't let our fire burn out. Oh, look, I could quote so many scriptures to you at the moment. How's my time going? Somebody. Do all right? Oh, Sid. Not 20 minutes to go. Sexual immorality. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20. Verse 12 starts off, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Amen. So in uh, pre-marriage sex, you join yourself spiritually to another person. You younger generation have never seen the AIDS ad that we were... Um, looking at on television many times when they were talking about HIV. So there would be one couple, a man and a woman, 
and we saw them in the centre of the screen. Then all of a sudden, behind the woman is a couple of men, behind the man is a couple of women, and behind all these women, there were more men and there were more women, and so it went on. And that was a picture of, and they didn't know it at the time, but this is a spiritual picture of what happens to us. We have united ourselves to so many people sexually and we have to break soul ties. So you need someone who can sit with you or you need to have the knowledge to be able to do that yourself and you ask God to forgive you for all of your sexual encounters where you've joined yourself to somebody else spiritually. And marriage in itself is meant to be holy and pure before God. One man for one woman for life. So when you start to be carried away, married people, when we start young married people, when we start to be carried away by the weight of the world and we're thinking divorce, not in God it's not. You've got to find a way to get that relationship fired up again. Even if it means counselling and being really, really honest and telling someone else what is the issue, what is the problem and it's got to be dealt with so that we can live together in harmony and in unity because God blesses unity. All right, I have written here, do not redefine what God has already defined in his word. If you confess that you're a Christian, then you wouldn't dare to redefine what God treats as life and death. Um, it's interesting days we live in, very, very interesting days. We have churches, and I'm not here to slag churches, I'm not here to put them down, but you know what, if we were to have a massive revival here in Australia now, and people were being um, convicted by the Spirit of God, and they found their way into some of our traditional churches, they would be taught the wrong thing. We have some traditional standard churches in our community who believe that it's okay to perform same-sex marriage. They believe that it's okay for abortion. They believe that it's okay for euthanasia. And I would be very, very concerned if we had a massive revival and these churches who seem to be now blind guides would be leading new Christians in and leading them blindly by them thinking that that's okay and it's not. So if you are going to pray, pray for the church of God. God will always have a remnant church, I believe Australian Christian churches, among many other Pentecostal churches, are the remnant church that is fundamental and believes every word as it is written. We cannot redefine what God has already defined. Marriage is for people who have married. Okay, you can't call an unmarried couple living together a marriage because it's not. It's not blessed by God in heaven because it's not. And I'll sometimes say, until there's, I used to tell on my single women, okay, and some had been divorced numbers of times, but we're thinking of a marriage again. And that's okay because in God, remember I read, and some of you were like these, some of you were. I was every one of them 
That was me. But in Christ, I'm a new creation. I love I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That old Sue Miller, she deserved to die. But Christ brought me to life. And I said yes to him and he says, I've made you a new creation. The most wonderful scripture in all the Bible for me was to know that. I can be a new creation. Come before him like I've never, ever been before. He actually says in Ecclesiastes, his mercy is new toward us. Every day, every morning, his mercy is new toward us. Whatever I did yesterday, I can ask forgiveness for it. And I'm forgiven and he doesn't remind me of it. Yes, of course, we know he does know it. He does remember it. He says, I choose not to remember it. I'm not going to hold it against you. That's the God that I love. That's the God that I serve. That the worst of the worst of us, even the Apostle Paul said, I was the worst sinner of all sinners. But I say that too. I was the worst of the worst. But he can make us brand new. And look what he can do with us. He can do amazing things. He says that he chooses, in Corinthians, he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I had a chuckle when I read that one day and I said, oh, God, you think I'm, I'm the foolish? <laughs> and I'm happy to be the foolish. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Because I tell you what, I have come to meet many, many traditional church ministers and I think, I don't even think you're saved. I think you know about God. You know a lot about God. You've been to theology school. You know a lot about God, but you don't know God. In the book of Daniel, Daniel said, those who know their God will do great and mighty exploits when you know your God, not know about him. We are called into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, today, I would so love it that your name would be written in heaven today and you would know your maker for yourself. If you have never ever, if you have only ever known about him, but you don't know him personally, you can't talk to him like a friend, then you need to get rid of that religious spirit, that monkey on your back, get rid of it and come back into a personal relationship with God. The church needs you. Jesus needs you. We need to become a voice out there in the community. On the 7th of May, it'll be a Sunday morning here in church, it's going to be Freedom of Religion Day. Uh, Pastor Dave said, oh, he'll probably send something out through WhatsApp, but it will be Freedom of Religious Day here in the church because we have a government that is trying to shut our mouth, tell Christian schools who they can employ, who they can't, what you can do, what you can't do, and... The church for too long has been silent, mediocre, lukewarm. Get ourselves on fire. All these other big, loud voices, they're minor groups. Um, I don't think I'm as political as Sid was this morning. I hope not. I'm just telling truth as truth is truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. But we cannot shirk our responsibility. And we have to open our mouths. And we will all be encouraged very soon when Pastor Dave comes back to write to all of our members of parliament and start to bombard them with voices from the church. Time? Okay. Revelations 22, 18 to 19 says that if anyone dares to change the word, the prophetic word, the word written in the Bible, woe to them 
All of the curses would come upon them. Love the word of God. Live by the word of God. If you're not in right standing, make adjustments today. Um, My son did eventually get married. That marriage failed. Then he got another marriage. And this one's lasted a long, long, long time. And I love my daughter-in-law. She has been so good for him. Uh, Yes, they're married. They've got two beautiful children. My granddaughter's 23. Our grandson's just turned 21. Beautiful kids. But they don't know the Lord. And our son has always blocked us. Blocked us from speaking about the things of God. But I tell you what, I get all my friends to pray for them very often and many of the church know my son's name and they'll be praying for Adam and his wife Lisa and for Kelsey and for Daniel and I believe that they will be saved. And again, the scripture, um, one of the readings was, as for me and my household, my household, as for me and my family, as for me and my close group, we will serve the Lord. We will. So they'll be in. They will be in. God is a very good God. But today, this is your day. Humble yourself before a mighty God and best that you fall upon the rock before the rock falls on you. Amen? Amen. There is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. You can come and tell me anything, anything. I have heard the curliest of things doesn't revolt me, doesn't cause me to step back from them. It causes me to lean in in great compassion and say, God loves you and you can be healed of that. You can be forgiven of that. You can be a new creation in Christ Jesus. You can move on and do great and mighty things for God. Amen.